Cozy Zone. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be in your home. This home is like the amalgamation of change. Wow. Tell me about that. Um, I've lived in this building for 15 years and um, just went through a lot of career changes, emotional changes, all of that. And I used to live on the ninth floor. And the number nine symbolizes endings, and the number six symbolizes uh, relation. So moving down to number six, and then also having outdoor space, just it just was like, it was perfect. It was like I was going through all these changes in my life, and then this happened, and I was like, yes. <laughs> A lot happened in number nine. <laughs> I think I I was living in a, a place of consciousness where I had a lot of healing to do. And so I had a lot of experiences that were really wonderful experiences. But I think I, I needed to go through this. Like it almost felt like I went through like a planetary like rotation up there. Like that's what that's how deep it felt, especially when I moved down here. I that's when I was able to really recognize that that apartment number nine was about me moving through a lot of different things and then once I came down here uh ideas became crystallized wow I I'm really I'm really interested in this this notion of healing I uh just to say that this project cozy zone is so much about my own personal mm -hmm. seeking mm -hmm. and my own personal questions of how do we stay warm and safe and okay in in a world that is as you said is in planetary rotation we are we are hurtling through the vacuum of space yes. <laughs> you know literally all of us and that's not even taking into consideration what our mind is doing what our interpersonal relationships are doing yeah. there's a lot there's a lot happening and i i am i'm really interested to hear about that healing and those discoveries and sort of what what brought you closer down to earth literally literally in in this in this place that's true right because i am closer to the ground in this uh, apartment i think um the biggest thing that I think I can take away from the experience or how I, how I look at it uh, when I reflect is that I needed to become extraordinarily honest with myself about my beliefs and thoughts. And that has been one of my biggest challenges, like really trying to understand what it is I really believe, and, and I'm not talking about like, oh, I believe that everybody should blah, blah, blah. I mean, I believe that I fucking suck right now. Like that kind of, like when the things that really are not cool and not life affirming, like I had to discover what I believed and still am, don't get me wrong, I'm not like some guru, but 
really just like taking um, and being soft and kind to myself in that. So not saying like, I, f I feel like shit or I feel like I'm, I'm not worthy of whatever it is and then beating up myself for that. Allowing myself to have the feeling and hugging myself, you know, finding ways to like allow myself to tell myself it's okay. It's almost like parenting yourself in some ways uh, to bring you to um, clo the, the closer realization of who you truly are, who we all truly are, which is love. Being creative is um, an artful living practice. Like none of us are ever not creative, um, whether we choose to be conscious of it or not. Um, I do, I do practice conscious cre creation and not anything that I'm like, um, like I'm going to produce something. I just make it and then it dissipates and I move on to the next thing. What, what's an example of something like that? I, um, have a daily dance practice. So every day, like I just dance to whatever mu uh, music is moving me or like, you know, I just want to work on twirling my head and working with my head and then I just let it go. And I know that that work informs everything else that I do. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's like somebody told me this really great statement, make the plan, forget the plan. Yeah. It's like just do the work and everything else is kind of going to come into alignment. I'm a big fan of rainbows or like multicolored patterns. So the wall that we're looking at right now is a wall that's painted. Uh, the color name is Forens, so it's like a terracotta orange. Um, and then a, f a friend of mine gave me that painting on the wall, which is like, looks like paint, kind of in a gradation of different colors. And then I found this funky couch, multicolored couch. <laughs> and it's not the most comfortable thing, but it's super cute. And I've slept on it, and a number of people have slept on it. Huh. You, you're, you gotta curl up a little bit. You gotta curl up, it. but yeah. actually the two arms go down. Oh. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so you can like rest your head, like you can stretch out a little bit. It, um, it's, I feel like the seating is kind of hard and high, mm -hmm. but I love it, it's super cute. And then I have a rug that has kind of a similar color theme, a circular woven rug with multicolors and you know, it's multicolored, but it also uh, feels very earthy. Yes. Like I'd ask somebody, somebody saw it and they were like, oh, it's very colorful. And I'm like, OK, I don't want it to look like it's a preschooler's room. No. <laughs> right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No. There's just something about and I love seeing people sit there. It looks like a picture should be taken anytime yeah. somebody sits there. Yeah. It's sort of like a kind of a Harlequin yeah. kind of <laughs> pattern. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh yeah, and, and there's a you've provided us with a, a beautiful spread here. Yes. Uh, you were telling me about lettuce. I am just like in love with lettuce, all kinds of lettuce. And um, I bought these lettuce boats, which the idea is that you're, you can fill them with things okay. and then eat them. Uh -huh. um, and I just will rip one out of the bag and shove it in my <laughs> mouth. And then... <laughs> I was in New Orleans earlier this year and I had grilled romaine lettuce and I ordered it kind of like as a joke. I was like, that's just stupid. Like who grills lettuce? Oh my God. It's a thing and it is very delicious. I met uh, I met your beautiful cat Apollonia yes. earlier. I don't where is she now? She's chilling in her own cozy zone, okay. which is right next to the toilet. I see. 
she likes it in there. I think because it's the the upstairs apartment used to face the front of the building and not a lot of sun came in. Mm. This apartment is super sunny mm-hmm. all the time and that's the only room that gets dark. Wow. So, so I think she likes to just go in there and have some alone time. That's great. And she also likes to go in there whenever anybody uses the bathroom in general. She just has a love for that room. Hmm. Good for her. Yeah, you know, my artistic uh, identity very much is to be an educator and a facilitator Hmm. because I do see that as a as a performance process. It feels like performance art to me to do it. Um, It has changed dramatically because, you know, I was a straight up dancer for a very, very long time and toured and did all that great stuff and then became an administrator Um, which was a great thing for me to do. And now I'm in this place that I'm trying to understand (laughs) how I would identify. Um, I've been working as like a physical dramaturg for a number of pieces where I just, I go in and I, people ask me to help them shape their work. So not so much being a director, but like looking at a work and saying, okay, physically, this is the story that you're telling what is this relationship here? If you turn your bodies this way, or if you do this, or if you do that. So it's all about the physical language of what performers are doing. And that has been, whoo, I want to do that all the time. I remember uh, somebody um, told me that they felt that dancers were the best actors because we just stay on task and every the, all the emotionality is there but that's not we just allow it to be there um but it's the it's the uh it's the emotional thinking stuff that's intriguing to me like i i want the language i'm a native new yorker and this is one of the greatest towns to to grow up in if you're a dancer and um i went to a performing arts high school and my dance teachers were so amazing and inspiring on so many levels, not just about like practice and rigor, but how to look at, at, at the work that you do and how to look at the field, how to approach um, the kind of work that you choose to do, be thoughtful about what you want to do. Like I have, I have friends who are highly successful dancers and let's call them dancos because they'll just dance with anybody. They're like, oh, I got this gig. Oh, I got that gig. And I was never that dancer. I always wanted to dance with people that I was like, I'm really a fan of this work. I think I can learn something from this work. I think I can bring something to this work. So my first uh, real professional experience started like my last year of high school, uh, uh, last year of high school, first year of college, sort of. Um, in my last year of high school, I, I did my first year of college and I met a dance teacher who became one of my mentors. Um, and she was the first person, she choreographed a solo on me. She was the first person to pay me to actually dance professionally. And at this point I say this because I, I did not think of myself as being a professional dancer. I was just kind of going with the flow. I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh, you want me? Okay. So I just kind of flowed with it. Um, and did that throughout my late teens and early 20s. I was uh, studying with this choreographer um, that I'd been studying with her for maybe like a year up until this point named Marlise Yearby. And uh, she's the choreographer of the musical Rent. She had a dance company. It was a touring dance company. And I did this summer workshop with her. And, and at the end of that workshop, 
Marlise asked me to join her company, that kind of catapulted uh, my dancing career. And I danced with her for a while. I still like consider myself to dance with her because every once in a while she'll ask me to teach something. Or um, So I danced with her for about four years. And that was interesting because even though I had worked professionally prior, I had worked in pickup situations. So like just a project and then it would disband. Like we would just do these projects. But with Marlise, it was a company. So we worked on a lot of different things and developed community together and ensemble together. And those are people that I still care about and love till this day. I mean, it's kind of hard not to be intimate with a person once, you know, you've rolled around and their crotches in your face, like you, <laughs> you're going to become kind of intimate. Um, but what really kind of shocked me was this idea of um, really having to follow someone's technique uh, really having to stay true to what the choreographer's voice is, not what my voice is as an artist, even though my voice played a role in that clearly. Um, so that was that was a struggle, and I'd never danced in a company before. With Dance Exchange, I had already had experience teaching older adults, and a friend of mine had said to me, you know, you should really check out Liz Lerman Dance Exchange because they're a cross-generational dance company. And she's like, I know you like the old people. So this friend of mine says that to me and I go on their website and I'd already heard of Liz Lerman Dance Exchange up until that point. But I started investigating them and I was just like, whoa, I think I want to do this or I want to be a part of it or I want to support it. I want to do whatever. So I sent them an email. I'm good for this. I just sent cold emails. I really like you. Do you like me back? It was kind of like that. <laughs> and so they they told me about an audition that they were having in New York. And I almost didn't go because it was 930 in the morning on a Saturday. And that's kind of whack. But I went. <laughs> and the rest was history. A good portion of my teaching and how I teach and how I look at teaching dance comes from Dance Exchange for sure. Um, and then I left dance exchange and then I did a couple of projects. Like I assisted, um, uh, was assistant choreographer on several different plays. And, and then, um, I joined Reggie Wilson fist and heel performance group and toured with them for about four ish years, four or five years. Um, all very different companies, but they all were cross generational people of different ages. They all used voice which was very important to me to be able to know that I could either speak or sing on stage or scream on stage. So all of them used voice and all of them were very interested as much as there was technical rigor. Um, they were interested in what you brought to uh, the plate. I remember my audition with Liz Lerman. I think I sang in addition to danced. Some girl played a tuba. <laughs> like we just brought all kinds of things out in that audition. <laughs> What I love about doing that work is the camaraderie of working with the same people over and over again. And you start to develop like it's just like a second sense with other people. And it's like an intimacy with someone else that's not romantic or sexual. And that's really beautiful. Like it's a hard thing, I think, for some folks to understand. I'm very huggy with my dance friends. Like we're very physical. And I've had folks be like, oh, 
are you dating that person? And I'm like, no, we just dance together. Like we're just used to being physical. My mom is an incredible improvisationalist with dance. My dad is like a comedic dancer. Like he always has to crack a joke while he's dancing. Those two ladies, man, Miss Tribo and Miss Rubin, who Miss Rubin is, still, is like one of my advisors now. Like I go to her if I need help about how I should teach something. Um, they were so progressive and health conscious. And just so both of them were like my height or I think Miss Rubin is a little taller than me. Both of them were not skinny minis. They had bodies and they had incredible technique. And they were very much about um, having a, a positive, healthy body image. In addition to my family, because uh, being Caribbean, having some weight on your body is actually considered lovely and a plus and all of that. So I never had any of those. I was so grateful. So when I did, like there were times where I, I encountered kind of like negative ideas about the human body. They were so foreign to me that I was just like, I don't even know how to respond to you. Um, I have this one, uh, do I want to tell this story? I'm going to tell it. So I auditioned uh, for a scholarship at the Dance Theater of Harlem when I was about 15. And um, my dance teachers were really great. We auditioned for everything like from, from ninth grade upward, they would just, and they would drive us to auditions, like go audition for a chorus line. You're not going to make it, but you should know what it's like to just audition. Like they would just do stuff like that. And so they really pushed us to like be out there in the world as dancers. So my dad drove me and like four or five of my friends to the dance theater of Harlem. And we all have these numbers on and we're at the bar and the founder and uh, artistic director, Arthur Mitchell, says, like, say my number is number 32. 32, how much do you weigh? And I found that to be such a weird question to ask in front of a group of 30 other young women. I, and I was like, I think, like, I don't know, 120, 130. And he's like, you know, the camera puts 20 pounds on you. And I was like, I, like, my brain, my innocent brain was like, how can a camera do that? <laughs> I don't understand what okay what camera what camera is there a camera here <laughs> what is camera? it gonna put it on me now <laughs> I just was so like I I thought I understood where he was getting at but I wasn't quite sure so then I my dad picks us up after and he asks asks us how it went and I tell him the story and he got so angry and I was like why are why are you angry? Like, I don't understand. Like, what did he say to me? And my dad was like, he's trying to shame you. He's trying to call you fat. And I was like, oh, like that was really the first time that it hit me. Wow. Like different ways of thinking about the human body as a dancer. Um, but I never let it bother me because I think I'd had such a strong foundation. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are things that I'm like, oh, I wish I was a little more flexible. Oh, I wish it... I didn't have the pot belly I have right now, but truthfully, I'm just like, this is, this is what it is and it's doing all right. So, <laughs> yeah. but I think that that was, that's definitely a direct result of, um, having the type of family that I had, um, and the type of teachers that I had, I could have easily ended up in a situation where I could have been told things about my body. I was, I was constantly told my body was beautiful. So I could have easily ended up in a situation where that wasn't. And I have some students now who 
have ha are are either in or have been in those kinds of situations with dance teachers so like doing that healing work with young bodies is deep like how does that healing work i mean it, it i think it mostly comes from um really uh being a witness to what they're doing um and then letting them know that you've witnessed them and that you know like i have this one student um, who's a student at a very famous dance school. I will not name any more names. And um, she's in my dance class. This girl is like a noodle, incredibly flexible. She just does not have muscle tone. So m that's what I, like, I'm like, that's my assessment. Like, you actually don't have to worry about flexibility at all. The two things you have to think about is, like, developing your muscle, which is going to be hard because you're very yin in your body. You're very flexible. You need to start moving towards the yang. And really just talking about the, the, the task and the skill at hand as opposed to you can't dance. And she would do this thing, and I called her out on it. She'd be like, yeah, you know, Miss Mac is always on my case because I can't dance. Like that, that was her shtick for a while. And I was like, hold on, where is this coming from? And she was like, well, you're always giving me notes. I'm like, everybody gets notes. And I was like, also what I've told you, which I did tell her, is that the type of flexibility she has, she actually has a lot of potential if she wanted to develop her strength to really like move forward as a dancer if she wanted to. Um, and I said, if you make the choice to just make a commitment to dance right now, even if you don't make a commitment once you graduate, you will give everybody in this room a run for their money. And I said that to her personally. I said it to her in front of everybody. Um, and then finally, she said it again. And I said, okay, I'm going to stop you. Where is this coming from? And it turned out it came from an old dance teacher who told her that she couldn't dance, told her she was untalented. Like, this is the language the person used. There's no need ever to break a person down to build them up. You can be strict. You can be rigorous. But you don't need to shame a person's um, ability or body. And so what I just said to you, I, I just say stuff like that to them. Like I, right now we're doing skips in class and literally like half of them are like, forgot how to skip. And you know, they started to beat themselves up. And I said, listen, skipping is like one of those things that's so inherent in us that when somebody actually asks us to do it, we kind of freak out <laughs> and our intellect gets in the way. I'm like, you just have to practice getting past that. Don't, you know, don't take it as like, oh, you know, I'm a horrible dancer. You just, I asked you to do it. So your brain's playing tricks on you. So I just like talk real talk. And um, I see a dancer in everybody that I, that I work with. And that's not um, being, uh, I'm, I'm being pretty sincere about that. Like I see a dancer in everybody that I work with. So I just speak truth to power. I just am a witness and I say what I see. So that seems to kind of work. But then obviously whatever a person's having going on inside, they're going to have to do their own personal work around yeah, that. Yeah. Oh man, we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> in a moment. Tell me, tell me how uh, arts education and facilitation is performance art. This summer I taught at a senior center and I actually hadn't taught seniors in a very long time. Even though that was a big part of my teaching work, and my performance work, um, it had been a long time. And, um, you know, when I walked into the space, it became about 
who is in front of me and how am I interacting with them? Um, am, are, are we going to interact as dancers or are we going to interact as storytellers? And so just like having that vulnerability of just being open and whatever actually conjures up is what it is. Um, that's how I feel generally about teaching. Like I, I, I may have a, a lesson plan and I know that, um, you know, part of the, the educated education, part of the goal is that I'm teaching these skills, but really I think there, a lot of it is a re-remembering of, of some things, uh, things that people already know how to do and do naturally, but actually I'm, I, what I'm teaching them is, oh, you should know we put this in a system. And these are the words we use for that thing that you always do. Or, um, you know, you know what this is, you know what this is, you know what this is. What happens if we put them all together? Because for me, the process is really about people using creativity to transform themselves or transform their experience in the moment. So in order to do that, I have to also be transformed in the moment and I need to be present in a particular way. What I do is not a solo act at all. Even if I'm lead facilitator on something, I know that I am backed by ancestral knowledge um, that is not just um, of my own bloodline, but also of my my field's bloodline. Like I know that Martha Graham's behind me. I know that Pearl Lang is behind me. I know, you know what I mean? And one of the things about dance that I really love is that um, there's just this habit uh, for dancers and dance teachers to talk about who their teachers are. Like when you're teaching something, you call out their name. You're like, I learned this from so-and-so. And I think that's really important to make that connection, not just for myself, so I stay grounded, but also for the people that I'm teaching. Like you, me teaching you this means you're connected to this lineage also. So this is a lot bigger than us, and it is also all about us. So... I live in a, in a neighborhood that has a very uh, strong Caribbean culture. And also, you know, this area used to be thought of as a little Panama because mm. people who moved to New York from Panama moved to this neighborhood. And mm -hmm. my parents were no different. Can I say what neighborhood it is? Yes. Crown Heights. Yeah. Or yeah. can we say? Yes. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of its ancestral names was Crow Hill. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm definitely, you know, when, it, when, I was younger, me and my siblings and cousins, we would make fun of the language and the different things it, within it because we were living like these dual lives. Like at home, we lived very Panamanian and in school, we lived very American. So uh, when I got older, um, it took a while for me to actually like embrace and incorporate my Caribbean-ness into not just myself, but my dancing as well. Mm. Um, but I'm very aware of it and I'm even more hyper aware of it because a lot of my dancers share my same lineage or share my same story, first generation Americaners. So I realized that I had to really kind of embrace my experience as a first generationer in order to mirror for them what their experience, like this is what it looks like when it's in its forties, y'all. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're the ancestors now. Exactly. <laughs> well, me and a few friends uh, of mine, we call ourselves junior elders. <laughs> and so like we like give each other junior elder lessons. I'm like, I had a junior elder moment where I had to tell this young person something. And I don't know if I sounded like my grandmother or did I sound okay when I said this? Oh Should my. I have told them that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get, you have to start 
getting ready at some point. You do. I mean, you have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to each other. Even, you know, at times when we don't really want the responsibility. I know. (laughs) Which is often for me. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we have to. And if you have a, a gaggle of people that can help you stay on task and help you like, you know, yes, you need to be responsible because you are a mirror for other people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine just about like this desire to be an adult and not feeling like an adult. Mm. And I have a sneaking suspicion that like I, I don't feel like an adult mm-hmm. right now. And yet I also if if someone was to sort of objectively observe the things that I do on a daily basis, mm-hmm. like it is very adult. Like I you know, I I took care of all the animals mm-hmm. and I wrote the rent check and I like made sure all the budget stuff like for our household was all set. Yeah. And I like put the dishes in the dishwasher and, and you know, just did all this stuff. And like in my mind, I'm just like, I'm a stupid <laughs> man. You know, like I like I don't you know, it's not like the the inner narrative is not like, oh, yes, I'm everything is, is right as it should be. Right. And everything is good. Like I just feel like a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like I have my entire life as a child, and so this messy through line exists. Yeah. And I wonder. I I don't know. I, I've also always fantasized about being an old man, <laughs> and so like really getting ready to yeah. be the you know always sort of been like this junior elder. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of things happening here, but uh, <clears throat> I guess do you feel like a an adult? Do you feel like a a junior elder? I do, and and I'll tell you what it what it is. It's um it's transmutating my emotional state um to recognize when I'm being immature emotionally. And that's really mostly what it is. Like recognize it like the thing I told you about evolving. Mm-hmm. Like recognizing it and then allowing the expression of that to evolve me to uh, another place in my understanding of what I'm sensing. Um, I don't think there's ever, ever a one specific thing. Cause I mean, I, really I, I do feel very uh, childlike in general. And yeah. I, I don't think feeling childlike negates adulting. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think adulting is like being present with another person, listening to another person. Um, I think adulting is knowing that, okay, one spend leaves rather than just leave these dishes here for three days it's going to make me feel so much better like taking care of myself as adulting it's going to make me feel so much better if i clean that yeah you know it's just those kinds of things of recognizing my emotionality and how am i going to how am i going to process through as opposed to just getting a bag of chips and lying on the couch for the next 48 mm. hours. Oh, yeah. Which is not a bad, like, that's not a horrible thing. No, like, that's no. a really great plan. Really great. But maybe not all the time. Not, right. Not exactly. every time. Yeah. So I am, uh, apart from the many gigs that I do, I'm, uh, I'm actually the development assistant for uh, an organization called the Cozy Zone Foundation. Oh, okay. Um, which is, uh, it's a, a very well-endowed uh, philanthropic, philanthropic organization okay um and their sole purpose is to fund uh artistic collaborations okay i talked a lot about like kind of reckoning with the self Mm -hmm. and and i also i'm also very moved by 
you know, movement dramaturgy mm-hmm. or, or physical physical dramaturgy. Yeah. And that there was sort of a, like you, I think you said like, that's if I like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, yeah. that's what you want. I mean, I definitely do it as a teacher. Yeah. It definitely informs my teaching a lot. But I would like to do it for all kind of folks. Like yeah. I work really well with actors and physicality. Mm-hmm. Love to do it like just more. Okay. And not directing. <clears throat> no, no. Just you know, let me help you shape what this is. Yeah. So I wonder. I wonder if that's a that's an interesting. That might be a jumping off point to so this mm-hmm. idea of like physical dramaturgy and and reading essentially like reading and um, feeding back physical movements. Yes. I mean, that would be helpful. Like, that's a helpful service, you know, in life, like even beyond artistically. Like, it would be nice (laughs) to, like, sort of know how you're coming across, you know? Yeah. And then, like, rehearse it and then do it real good the next time. Yeah. One of my earliest memories of looking at text and movement was being in the Catholic Church and watching priests, like, you know, oh, Spiritu Santo, and do all these gestures and look and they seemed to me that they weren't there like they were present but they were looking at something other and that intrigued me and so then I became a people watcher and this is something that I generally don't share with people because (laughs) some people know this but you know it's creepy because I watch the way people move all the time so I can and not just uh, culturally America like different cultures um not just like gestures that people share, but what does it mean when your body is in different positions? And so almost when I see a person move, I already hear language. So it becomes about translating what I'm seeing into actual verbal language. And that's a way of holding space um, to be to reflect for another person this is what I'm feeling that you're telling me that you're expressing. And then I want to say this, there um, is a choreographer who I would love to study with, um, who I already have felt she's my teacher, even though I've never met her, Anna Halperin. Anna Halperin's about 94, 96 years old. Um, She was like kind of a contemporary of Martha Graham, incredible educator, like just really like knocked things like just was she was breaking dance she broke dance and she moved to california with her husband who was an architect and they they worked together quite a bit because her relationship to space was very specific and so was his and um she suffered uh from cancer twice and she healed herself from cancer twice and the last time she had cancer she didn't know at first that it had come back but she could feel something off in her body and she made like uh, she paints, but she doesn't. Her, she doesn't paint for public, and she painted her body on a piece of paper. And she was like, "What? Let me paint what my body feels like." And it was all very dark. And then she danced it out in front of an audience, and she made that her healing. And then after she did that, she flipped the page over and painted another version of her body after excising all of that. So it is a thing that's done where people use dance and art in front of people to really just get it out, express yeah. it. The idea that I'm having that perhaps incorporates this is, is developing like a, a liturgy. How do you feel about this idea of like 
a book. I like that idea. And I, I like I wonder too, like a book can't teach you everything and like no. thinking especially like in how, how dance is transmitted, right? It's transmitted in present, like in you have to be watch someone's body, you right. have to be with someone. Yeah. And so I also like I'm thinking of like, you know, you need like a library, you need like a you need a house of worship or you need mm. a you need like a you need a place. Yeah. As well as, you know, sacred texts texts and it seems to me that there's also like the book is also filled with assignments Mm. right so that like a person can construct something that is correct for them yeah as opposed to here is the word right we all have the same word but perhaps we all have the same tasks yeah. And we it, it, it incorporate them yeah. differently. And then those <clears throat> tasks can also be just um, guidelines yeah. too because how a task may hit you in that moment. Um, like for instance, if I don't have time to take a, a bath in salt water, I might put water in a glass with some salt and then splash myself because I don't have, you know what I mean? Like you can yeah. make adjustments. Of course. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I like a it's a, it's like a collection of sacred like aesthetic mm-hmm. practices for healing. Yep. In, Keep yourself grounded and present in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Um and so I mean essentially I mean it's a, it is a religion of sorts. Yeah. It's a, so that's what we'll do. We'll fund a new Love religion it. and we I think we should maybe we have to <laughs> You're like that's what we'll do. We'll fund a new religion. Yeah, so we'll make a new religion. What what are we going to call the religion? I don't know. You know what's interesting is that before uh you came in, I'm a big fan of documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just watching a documentary about Ramdas oh. and Timothy Leary who were the LSD kings, right? They're the Ramdas guys. Ramdas was an LSD king. Yeah. Oh. The both of them together mm-hmm. kind of brought LSD to He wasn't called Ramdas at the time. Right, right, right. Yeah. But um they brought it to the masses hmm. and you know everybody said that Timothy Leary destroyed that particular generation and blah blah blah, but it's LSD that led Ramdas to where he ended up. Um maybe they have an idea. <laughs> There must have been a reason, like, if I was watching them, because I just literally this morning was like, let me, because I've studied a little bit of Ram Ram Dass, and I know a little bit of Timothy Leary, and I knew a little bit of their story, so I'm getting, like, a really good, like, really good information about their story, but they talk about ritual. Yeah. Uh, You know, they talk about set and setting. Uh, They talk about creating space to be able to psychedelically go on these adventures. The two sort of bad ideas that I was thinking about (laughs) are like something like void or, Mm. and then voice Mm. void voice. No Mm. voice void. No, No. but like voice or, you know, uh, I I passed like the Feldenkrais center. That's uh, yeah, Feldenkrais is a thing. I feel yeah. like this is this religion is very felt. There's a lot yes. of Feldenkrais yeah. in this religion. Have you tried Feldenkrais? Oh, long once, a long yeah. time ago. It's nice. It's lovely. It's really lovely. I mean, talk about not intellectualizing. I mean, that process is all about not the in, the intellect of the physical corporal body. Yeah. 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 It's the shit that dude knew. What, he was onto some stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if he was on LSD too. I don't know. Was he Israeli? Yeah. 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 Like he got injured in the army or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
so smart. Like anytime I am done with the class, my body feels like who I'm like, whose body is this? <laughs> it's great. I mean, for me, I'm like looking at this couch and I'm like, rainbows is my religion. Rainbows. <laughs> Creative uh, palette. Um intention. Um being be want create uh f- hope feel mm-hmm. cradle uh witness witness there is a there are already there is a there's the jehovah's there, witnesses. there are jehovah witnesses yeah witness feels pretty close yeah seer Ooh. but then what if you're a non-seeing person <laughs> same with yeah. witness that's true but then you know witness doesn't necessarily have to or 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 seer right maybe it doesn't have to it doesn't have to do with uh vision yeah it doesn't right because like yeah uh uh uh, what's his name uh uh, the the oracle or the there's the blind tiresias yes was a seer oedipus seer yeah he was this he was this I mean, really both. Sears Roebuck, Sears, <laughs> the Sears. He was the Sears we Roebuck. We seer the seer. See, because mm-hmm. and then the Pope is the Holy See, right? Mm-hmm. See, uh, seer. Also, okay, the seer. Seer. Be your own seer. S- uh, that's kind of a long name for a religion. Be your own seer. Be your own seer. B y o seer. B y b y o s. B y o s. What are you? I'm I'm seer. I'm seer. I'm a seer. I'm seer. Hmm. You know, when you just said it like that, it made me want you to read my tarot cards. Oh yeah. Yeah, I just felt like I was like, oh, read some cards for me. Seer. I'm seer. <laughs> I'm seer. We're seer. I'm seer. We're seer. Yeah. He's seer. They're seer. 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 Great. We got it. We got it. Excellent. That's our religion. That's our um, religion. It's only us two right now. Yeah, that's okay. We'll, the, the foundation will get on it. We'll just draft our little okay. report and we'll send it up and it'll <laughs> happen. Yeah. I look forward to it. My goodness, Penelope, thank you so much for this. Thank you. This is really great. I yeah. so appreciate an opportunity to just play creatively and yeah. not like, I've definitely have been in, you know, for a number of years, this place of like, get out of producer head. Like, mm. don't think about creating something that you're going to perform on mm. stage. So opportunities to play, like I always play by myself, anyway. sure. <laughs> but to play with another person is grand it is so grand it's grand for me too um any final uh any final advice uh yeah i might want some like uh, maybe like teacher advice like as a as like a as a educator who's striving to be better Nonverbal communication is really just incredible Mm. and it's beyond just cueing Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just being standing next to a kid and breathing with that kid Mm -hmm. like finding their own breath Mm. Uh, finding how they stand, having a le- a level of empathy. Mm. Um, there's this really great movie that, I like I said, I love documentaries, and there's this movie called Buck, and it's about the real Horse Whisperer. Like, there was a movie called The Horse Whisperer with Robert Redford. So this is the guy who taught Robert Redford the role, 
of horse whisperer, and he is a horse whisperer. He um, travels all around the Midwest, and he teaches people how to train and or deal with their horses. Yo, this movie had, I've watched it at least three times. It taught me so much about teaching. And he talks to people about how to work with horses. He's like, he's like standing next to a horse that's not his. He's like, I should just be able to do this and the horse will just follow my energy and move. And he did it. He just went and the horse just moved. And he's like, it's because I'm connected to the horse. But the reason why is because he was horribly abused as a young person. And he said, I can tell when someone or something is in complete fear of its life. And I let it know in my energy that I am not going to do that to you. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to listen to you. Him and the horse don't speak the same language. Like, he's amazing. One of my pieces of advice is watch that movie. Okay. Because it'll definitely teach you a lot about just being in a room with people and not having to use your voice or intellectuality. Just be able to look at kids and be like, yeah, I'm here with you. Even when a kid is like, ew, what are you looking at? And I'm like, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Penelope, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. This is great. This is great. Right. I love talking about myself. There's the ego. Oh, yeah. Of course. It's a, it's a joy. <laughs> so I, I love that you love it. We love it, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll see you right after this. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. We are intimately finding our peaceful, cozy zone. And Ben, he interviews friends. It's awkward and then it's cozy zone. Occasionally it's a lovely thing to be nosy in somebody's cozy zone. So please snuggle up sweet. A beautiful thing, it's cozy zone.